0: Let's invite the Lord to continue to guide us this morning as we go into a message that's been in the making for months. And I'm asking God to make it clear. And I'm asking for you to pray and to stay alert. We've just entered the transitional stage between we are all wide awake to where the enemy would try his best to keep you from hearing. But God would have you receive this morning. Bow your heads with me. As the song has said, I need you, Lord. Come now, Holy Spirit, and speak to our hearts, we pray, that we will not only hear, but we will be prepared to trust you through the final conflict that is developing in our sight. Give us a determination to trust you and to commit ourselves to your faithful keeping until the end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. It's coming, you know, World War III. But this time is not going to be between Japan and America or Germany and the allied nations of Europe. It's coming. It's not going to be communism against democracy or the red states against the blue states. And to your surprise, it's not going to be Republicans versus Democrats. In this final battle, the entire world will be marshaled into one group or the other. And as we sit here this morning, Satan is busy. His angels have received their assignment. And they are working because their employer says he knows that he has but a short time. There is a feverish level of activity taking place in the world of darkness. And they're not fighting over a globe or a star or a planet. But the battle taking place today is over the lives of every citizen that Christ has died to save. The stakes are deeper than property and income and finances. The battle is fought over every one of us sitting here this morning and over the entire world. And John the Revelator takes us behind the scene and calls us back, calls us back to a sober-mindedness that is lacking in so many Christian circles today. You know, Christianity to a large degree has become an activity of entertainment and feeling. On so many levels, the church has come down to the world rather than the world coming up to the church, and faithful. John, on the island of Patmos, imprisoned though he may be, his mind is freed by the vision that God gives him of World War III. I point your attention to Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. John says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, Coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of demons, performing signs. And they chose their target audience. Which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty, World War Three. When Revelation 16 introduces the symbol of frogs, God uses a symbol that is very known to those in Old Testament times. You see, frogs was the last miracle that God performed through Moses. That he allowed the Egyptian magicians to duplicate. And the end result of that sign that he allowed them to duplicate solidified Pharaoh's heart against God. When he saw that his magicians were able, by God's permission... To also produce frogs, he said, who is God that I should obey his voice? I know not God, and neither will I let Israel go. We know the rest of the story. I'm glad to say this morning, God does not need permission to let us go. But the picture that is painted here, and I'm going to be methodical this morning as I was talking this out and studying it out, one of the things that I'm fully aware of is that the content of this message is so, it's so concentrated. For many of you, you're going to hear things you've never heard before. And so therefore, instead of racing through like the energetic New Yorker that I can be, I need to speak slowly like I'm from southern Illinois. So that you can get it before the conveyor belt moves quickly to another scene. You see, in the days of the Egyptian rebellion, when God was pulling out all the stops to give Pharaoh an opportunity to participate with divinity, he determined that he would not participate with God When you study that story deeply, God wanted to give Pharaoh the opportunity to say, I am God. If you would but participate with me, things would not be that bad for Egypt. But he chose not to participate. And the lesson learned from that is a profound lesson. When men persist in rebellion against truth, and I want you to listen to me this morning, they will appear to have the same power working through them, that is, working through God's servants. But the end result will be those that follow them will eventually do what they did, and that is reject God. You might wonder why God allows men to perform miracles. To test the human heart, the human resolve. And we live in a day and age where people like the sensational, people like the fanciful, the magicians of Egypt rejected the evidences of God's divinity. And so God gave them what they desired, a strong delusion that the entire community of Egypt, the entire congregation of the Egyptian army would believe a lie so that God would bring the Egyptian dynasty to its knees. And so he allowed to some degree this ability for the Egyptian magicians to manipulate the onlooking congregation and to conclude that if they can do what God can do, we don't need God. And today, today, Christianity appears to be a religion that's becoming less and less dependent on God because they prefer signs instead. When God speaks about miracles, there's a deeper meaning behind it. And as I thought about this message and prayed about it and looked at what I can include and what I can leave out, because, you know, they only give me but so much time. (laughs) <laughs> as though that makes a difference. <laughs> We've got to remember that Satan's aim is not for the wealthy, for the powerful, for the strong politician. They're all what we might call um, in the In the military terms uh, what 's the word casualties they're they're collateral damage. the drug abuser, the murderer, the adulterer the, the the harlot, the sinner, the person that lies and robs banks they are all collateral damage. Jesus made it abundantly clear. The concern that Satan has as his uppermost focus, look at the words of Christ in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 24. Jesus said, for false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs, just like they did in Egypt, and wonders just like they did in Egypt, to deceive, if possible, even the... What is the next word? The elect. But let me put a pin in that. Satan cannot deceive those whose minds are guided by the undiluted Word of God. He's concerned about them because Jesus said his aim is to show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Praise God. The elect are those whose minds are guarded by a plain, thus saith the Lord. They're not looking for signs and wonders. They're not looking for sensation and feeling. The church is metamorphosizing and declining into feeling and emotion. While while the word of God is languishing, a plain, thus saith the Lord, is no longer preferred. People want to feel religious. And this is the prime atmosphere that gives Satan all the fodder he needs in order to extend his arms of deception. You see, my brothers and sisters, John was warning the remnant. John is warning the remnant to be careful who we listen to and who we follow, because there is a satanic trinity. And the mouthpiece of each of these entities and the purpose of each of these entities is to bring about the final deception and the remnant is the focus. God's church is the focus. And when you look at what's happening in our world today, we are approaching the most polarizing test in modern history. These times demand unquestionable loyalty to God's agenda. Can you say amen? Unquestionable loyalty to loyalty to a plain, thus saith the Lord, don't be fooled by the calm surface because there is, an, there is an undercurrent that is waiting to claim those who feel that they could wade into the waters of compromise and come out unharmed. There's an undercurrent. The surface doesn't reveal it, but there's an undercurrent. There's a political undercurrent. There's a social undercurrent. There has always been a financial undercurrent. But well-meaning individuals... are being drawn into a stage and atmosphere that has not been designed by them. They have just been invited by satanic forces to participate, and by the time they realize that they have been used, it is too late. That's how the devil works. Servant of the Lord says that by the time... People come to realize that Satan has used them, she said, he is done. And moving on to the next victim. And if you don't think that the remnant church is on his hit list, you are not awake. There are no earthly spiritual powers of greater concern to the kingdom of darkness than those who identify. With the truths of God's word, the commandments of God's word, the testimony of Jesus, there is no deeper concern for the powers of darkness than those who are standing unequivocally with Christ. And if Jesus was persecuted for his stand, believe me, we will be persecuted for our stand. All the neutral places are being strategically removed and eliminated. Pretty soon, there's going to only be two sides, those that are for the issues, those that are against the issues. And that's why, as I was reading about this, and this has been in development for many, many months. As a matter of fact, I would say many years. And I kept saying, Lord, when would you have me talk about it? And I want to say to you today, these times demand faithful watchmen on the wall. I'm not preaching this message because I, have, because I want to. I'm preaching it because I have to. God told Ezekiel the prophet that the watchman is not at his own discretion. He talks about destruction coming, how important it is for the people to choose a, choose a watchman. And then he says in Ezekiel 33 and verse 6, But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned, And the sword comes and takes any person from among them. He is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. I don't want to stand before God because of what I failed to tell you. So this is not an optional message. It's a mandatory message. You see, friends, the opposing forces are clearly defined. On God's side, there are the three angels designed to give three undiluted messages. On Satan's Satan's side, there are three unclean spirits with messages designed to gather the wicked, while the three angels' messages are designed to gather the righteous. There are only two sides. And according to God's word, the remnant will face a triad of opposition and the triad of opposition is a triad of deception. You see, there are three powers that are working behind the scenes, the dragon, the beast and the false prophets. And John talked about this about 2000 years ago. And I would say if John was given this vision 2000 years ago, you can be sure that what John was shown is happening in our very day. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Who is the dragon? The Bible says in Revelation 12, 9, that servant of old called the devil and Satan, the dragon who deceives the whole world. So the dragon is Satan. Who is the dragon? Satan. And the beast, identifying the power, that, for, that fourth beast of Daniel, chapter 7, that first beast of Daniel, Revelation, chapter 13, the beast that resurges out of the sea that is troubled, the power of Rome, papal Rome, that metamorphosized out of pagan Rome, and there's no monolith that encompasses the earth larger than the power of the papacy. Are you hearing me today? Satan created a distraction through a power, as Revelation 13 verse, verse 4 says, the dragon gave the beast his power, his seat, and his great authority. And let me make it abundantly clear. I am not talking about Catholic people. I'm talking about a system. Because most of my family is Catholic. I understand very well when I go home to St. Thomas and the Virgin Islands and I look up that hill, At a church that's been in that community since the 1800s or maybe the 1700s, it always troubles my heart when I see family members ascending the steps and they get in front of a a plastic, a, a plaster statue of a Virgin Mary and they kneel and they bow to it. And I say, Lord, what can I do to awaken them that that statue cannot see nor hear nor answer their prayer? It's just the development of some man in some factory somewhere. And an entire system based on deception is pulling the kings of the earth under its influence. Rome has an extent and has an influence that is unmatched by any other religious earthly power. And what's the purpose behind this gathering? They are working deceptively. They are working deceptively to accomplish and I want you to remember this phrase, a predetermined agenda. What kind of agenda? Which means long before you see it happen over there, it's been decided way over here. So when something is introduced in our modern day and age and we think, wow, I have the power to make a decision about how it's going to how it's going to unfold and how it's going to be fulfilled, You are fooling yourself because the outcome has been determined way back here. So by the time you see it, you are simply being made to believe that you have some input on the outcome when, in fact, the predetermined agenda was introduced from the fall of humanity. But I want to say today, God has a predetermined agenda. What is that agenda? Jesus told us what it is. Luke nineteen ten. For the Son of Man, let's say that together. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Praise the Lord. The only agenda that heaven has is to save us. And in the context of that salvation, to protect us, to provide our needs. But don't get your temporal needs mixed up with your eternal needs. The greater need we have is salvation, not things. But Satan also has a predetermined agenda. The Apostle Peter brings that out in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. He says to the Christian, be sober. What does he say, church? Be sober. What else? Be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour that 's why Jesus in Revelation chapter sixteen Jesus said, "Blessed is he that blessed is he that keepeth his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. I read that text. JD, for so many years, and, and it just dawned on me lately, as Ian likes to study deeper in knowledge, as I dove into the pretext, as I dove into the context, and I decided, let me go back to John's day and find out what the writers meant. Blessed is he that keepeth his garment, lest he walks naked and they see a shame. And the context was, in the camp of Israel, during the night, especially during military skirmishes, It's a military terminology, Someone was assigned to keep watch. And if he fell asleep, they stripped him of his garment and put, it, put him on display naked that he may feel the shame of not being sober and being vigilant to watch for the enemy. So the blessing came when the morning rose and he still had on his garment. That meant he was faithful. You see, my brothers and sisters, I want the morning of the coming of Jesus to rise and we still have on our garment. What do you say? The garment is the righteousness of Christ. Just to emphasize that further, that's why when Jesus came in to examine the marriage guests, and Ron talked about this, when Jesus came in to to examine the marriage guests, one of the questions is, how Can you come in in here? How did you come in here without a wedding garment? But the inference is even more embarrassing. He came in naked. Because he did not have on the garment of Christ's righteousness. So we are told the only way to shield ourselves from Satan's predetermined agenda. We've got to remember how he works. You see, the war that began in heaven was not over territory alone, but the war was between truth and error, light and darkness. But follow me carefully. Satan was successful in a perfect environment to to deceive one third of the angels. If he can do that in a perfect environment, what can he do in an imperfect environment? If he was successful in deceiving the angels, Ezekiel talks about how he did that by the multitude of his trading, trading light for darkness, truth for error, loyalty for selfishness. He went from angel to angel and behind the back of God. Really, there's no behind the back of God. God knew it. He sowed seeds of doubt in the mind of the leadership of heaven. Let me put a pin in that right there. We are warned, be careful when anyone comes to you and begins to sow doubt in the minds of, in your mind, against leadership. If you don't see that that's coming into our church, all you got to do is go to a general conference session and see how many people don't like the fact that Elder Ted Wilson is president again. So what do they do? They sow into the minds of those who don't like his spiritual stand, doubt about leadership. It happened among the children of Israel when they were led out of the land of Egypt. The rebellion at, of Korah, also the rebellion at the Jordan, just before they crossed over into the Promised Land, there were those among them that sowed doubt in the minds of those who did not like leadership. But that was not unusual. Mary didn't like the fact... Sorry, Miriam did not like the fact that God was speaking through Moses, and she said to him, to the leader... Do you think you're the only one that God speaks through? Miriam. His sister. Do you think that you're the only one that God speaks through? Be careful when people so doubt in your mind about leadership. Leadership is not perfect, but when God uses an individual to proclaim a message, the worst thing that you can do is so doubt in the mind who needs that message for his or her salvation. Satan didn't tell the angels he was pushing lies. He deceived them into leading them to believe that he was pushing the truth. They didn't fall because they knew it was a lie. They found out it was a lie after they fell. They were so convinced and so convicted that what he was saying was the truth. It was not until they fell that they saw that their fate was in the hand of a man who was a liar from the beginning. So the unclean spirits are gathering. The unclean spirits, John says, are gathering. Who are they gathering? They are gathering the kings of the earth and the whole world to gather. They are gathering in their final push against the three angels' messages and the remnant people of God. Well, the question is, how can Satan create an alliance Between God's leaders and rebellious fractions. Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 11. It's going to be on the screen, but I want you to do something with your hands. So that you don't get too comfortable. 1 Kings chapter 11. How can Satan create an alliance between God's leaders and rebellious fractions? amazing how he did it but let's look at it do you know the story very well I'm going to read into it then I'll bring up the key verse on the screen hmm I read verse 1 and then I'll bring the other verse on the screen but King Solomon loved many foreign women King James version says strange women as well as the daughters of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. And what happened? What did the Lord say? From the nation of whom the Lord has said to the children of Israel. Listen to what he says. 1 Kings 11, verse 2. You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Now, let's break that down to today. Are you ready for it? If you follow throughout the course of, of the Israelites, you follow through the rebellion of the Israelites when God tore away ten of the of the nations, and then how Judah was in consistent rebellion until the time that they were taken into captivity into Babylon. You look at their persistent resistance against the truth of God, their determination to be rebellious. You find that the way that Satan worked then, he's seeking to work again today. But how is he doing it? He's seeking to create an alliance between the remnant and other movements that do not have the same commission as we have, and just like a person that marries a non-believer, the the believer suffers every time. There are very few instances where the believer, where the non-believer becomes a believer, but in so many instances, as I've counseled couples through the years. When a believer marries a non-believer, the believer begins to modify his or her worship to make the non-believer comfortable, and the very same thing happens, listen carefully, when the Seventh-day Adventist Church begins to get into alliances, when ministers that God has called to preach the three angels' message begins to preach messages that God has not given us. What happens? Their hearts turn away after other gods. That is why you see the church looking differently. There's something wrong when a guy that's talking about football and basketball, when you watch Sports Center and the Sports Center announcer has on a suit and a tie and a handkerchief, but a preacher from that speaking on God's behalf, slow me down, Lord, a preacher that is called to represent God tells his church to wear jeans on Sabbath morning to be on the pulpit, to look like hip hop artists. Don't wear clothes. Show as much as you can, and the world will come up to us. No, no, no. When the church begins to go down to the world, it loses its power to draw the world back to the church. And so many of our churches today are looking less and less like a church and more like a club. What's happening, y'all? Happy Sabbath. Calling God, he's my dog, he's my homie. God ain't your dog, God ain't your homie. God Almighty is holy. Let all the earth be silent before him. But it's happening in our churches. I'm watching this metamorphosis, this paradigm shift. Somehow we believe that if we become like the world, we can win the world. No, you can't win the world when you become like the world. Because God brings you out of darkness into marvelous light, but unless the light is on, nobody will see it while they're in darkness. It began with Solomon, but it continued down to Ahab. By the time it came to Ahab, notice what the Bible says these allegiances are, these are examples. To what the devil seeks to do today to God's people. He begins with the leadership. 1 Kings 21, 25. The Bible says, but there was no one like Ahab. What did he do? Who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. When you start talking to people that don't honor the Sabbath and they convince you that the Sabbath doesn't matter, they are stirring up your heart against obedience to God. I have friends that are not Adventist, but they know I'm an Adventist pastor because I tell them the truth. I don't create alliances or folk to become like them uppermost in my mind all the time is, how can I win them to this marvelous light of God's Word? I'm not ashamed to give a track. I'm not ashamed to give somebody lessons to study. It is too late to be ashamed of such a powerful, life-saving message. But when an alliance is created between God's people and movements that oppose God, God's people suffer because their hearts turn from God. And when the heart is turned from God, Lord, help me. There is no depth to which a person can sink when his or her heart turns away from God. What they can do when their hearts are no longer conscious, conscious toward God's leading, they can perpetrate unimaginable evil. How do I know that? It took Satan 4,000 years to accomplish it, but his deception was so complete that at the 4,000th year mark, he led the Jewish leaders, the scribes and Pharisees and Essians and Sadducees, he led them all to do what? To perpetrate and orchestrate the death of Christ. Let me get a little deeper here. They were Sabbath keepers. They ate a clean diet They paid tithe and mint and anise and all the things they had. They made sure to show up in church every Sabbath. And the devil says, I know what God has as a plan for them. And I cannot stand by and watch them accomplish God's plan without trying to find a way to interrupt it. And he worked on that for 4,000 years. And he did it. So let's pull back the curtain. Are you ready for it? Going to pull back the curtain and show you how the devil does it. It worked in Israel of old. He was so completely successful with the Israel of old that the Lord said to them, you will not worship like Babylon in Jerusalem. If you want to worship like Babylon, go to Babylon and keep on babbling on. And I want to tell you, Lord, have mercy for some of the worship that's coming into some of our churches, because all they're doing is babbling on. When the sermon's 15 minutes, I understand. Just relax. And you and you sing so long that you're in a trance. And there's no change in the way you live. And on Sabbath morning, you're not challenged to come up higher. But every Sabbath, you seem to be going lower and lower. As a matter of fact, I'm going to be very candid this morning. I'm going to be very vague, but very candid. I was invited. I was a pastor reached out to me, an Adventist pastor reached out to me to possibly have me come and speak at his church. And I decided to go on the website and look at their church. And I said, there's no way I'm speaking at that church. So I was saying to myself, what is happening in the Adventist church? Now, watch this. I expect it to be in the other churches. But let me make a very important point. God has sincere, dedicated believers in all faiths of the earth. He said in John 10, 16, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, but you don't go into that fold and join them in darkness. You keep the light shining. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your father. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. It is too late for us to turn the light off. That's why for years I always wished that the Motel 6 slogan was our slogan. We'll leave the light on for you. I always said, man, that should be over the doors of every Avenue church. We'll leave the light on for you. But look at how The devil works. And the reason I'm allowing reason I'm saying we're going to pull back the curtain because religious leaders and Christian leaders are not necessarily the same. You missed that, didn't you? Religious leaders and Christian leaders are not necessarily the same. And don't you forget that. Go with me to Matthew chapter 27. Let's look at how clever this deception is. It is diabolical. Now, the setting is Jesus has been arrested, falsely accused. Judas, the plan he had, backfires. He ends up betraying the Son of God. Into the hands of angry and guilty men. But Pilate, the governor, looking at the life of Jesus, seeing him to be righteous on all counts, knew that he still had one out. So he decided, Matthew chapter 27, at the yearly feast, it was a custom to release one of the prisoners. To the preference of the multitude. Let's read the story and see what happened. Let's look at the manipulation of how religious leaders and Christian leaders are not necessarily the same. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 27, verse 15, now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Pause for a moment. Let's put the scene together. Pilate is a political leader. What is Pilate? He's the voice of politics. The multitude is the voice of the people. Barabbas is a what? Is a criminal. Is a what? Is a criminal. So this next question seems to be the oddest question when it seems obvious if you're comparing Barabbas, if you're comparing Barabbas to Jesus, you should say to the people, I'm not going to ask you who I'm going to release. I'm going to tell you which one is worthy to be released because I got a whole lot on this man's record, but I have nothing on this man's record. Look at verse 17. Verse 16. Oh, wait, let me go back. Okay, here it is. Oh, I'm going in the wrong direction. Hold on, look at the screen. Y'all can't see that. Okay, here it is. Okay. Now at the feast, there was a custom to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Arabus. Look at verse 17. Which I left out, but it's in your Bible. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, get get this. The political leader, Pilate, thinks that the people are making a decision that the people want to make. But look at the next verse. Matthew 27 And verse 20. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask for who? Barabbas and destroy Jesus. Okay, okay. Let me break it down. Pilate, political leader, multitude, us, chief priests, religious leaders, not Christian leaders. I want you to get that. Religious, but not Christian, because a true Christian will never sell Jesus to be destroyed. You don't see it coming. Today, we have religious leaders in America that are manipulating political leaders through the multitude. But as you just read, before the multitude decided on their own, the chief priests and elders persuaded them about the choice that they should make. So it wasn't their choice. It was the choice of the religious leaders Whom to pick? And the multitude simply carried out the wishes of a small religious body, chief priests and elders. They were not bigger than the multitude, but they were the ones persuading the multitude. Notice what the Bible says. Because they had a predetermined agenda. When did that agenda, when did that agenda get formed? Okay, are you ready for it? When Lazarus when Lazarus was raised from the dead, they said, when they saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, they said, Jesus must die. A predetermined agenda. They decided from the resurrection of Lazarus that they don't want to hear anything more about Jesus. You know why? Because when Jesus raised Lazarus, that was evidence of divine import that no one could raise a dead person unless he is divine. And they could not argue that point away because the evidence was too clear. In other words, how do you explain that, Rabbi ben Haydad? I can't. You see what he just did? He made us all look bad. What do we do? Let's kill him. A predetermined agenda. And they timed it because they knew at the feast that happened yearly, that was their opportunity to stir up the multitude. Look at how Mark says it. Look at how Mark says it. Same language. That same thing that happened to Ahab. Jezebel stirred Ahab up. Jezebel stirred up Ahab, got him angry to lead the people of God in rebellion. Solomon, his wives, turned his heart away to follow their gods. And that this is a pattern that's repeated in every situation where the people of God are manipulated by those whose minds have been given over to the artful manipulation of Satan. Look at this. The Bible says in Mark 11 verse Mark 15, verse 11, but the chief priests stirred up the crowd So that he should rather release Barabbas to them. The chief priest had a predetermined agenda. Can you say that word with me, that phrase? Predetermined agenda. This agenda was determined before they stirred up the crowd. I I need to wet my whistle. You're not ready for it, but I'm going to read it. "Counsels to Writers, page 58. Paragraph 2. Satan's attacks against the advocates of the, what's the next word? Truth. Will wax more bitter and determined to the very close of time. As in Christ's day, the chief priests and rulers stirred up the people against him. Now, here's the transition. So today, when today, Today, the religious leaders will excite bitterness and prejudice against the truth for this time, which is what? The three angels' messages. So what are they angry with? What are they angry with? The truth for this time. So what, th- what do they want to attack? The truth for this time. Whom do they want to use to attack it? Come on, I, I know you're awake. The multitude. Because their predetermined ideology needs some flesh to accomplish their design. The quotation continues. Look at how diabolical it's getting, and you will then understand why we see what we see in our world happening today among people claiming to be connected to Christ. Look at this. It's powerful. Continuation. Councils the writer's page, 58, paragraph 2. The people will be led to acts of violence and opposition, which, this is powerful, which they would never have thought of had they not been imbued with the animosity of professed Christians against the truth. Let us soak in. Christian people today are being led by people whose predetermined hatred is... Listen carefully whose predetermined hatred is not over political issues but over the truth let me get let me get very direct let me get let me sharpen my pencil do you think that the revelation 13 scenario will ever change it's set it's in stone we have been told that protestant america when they, neglect, when they neglect the principles of Protestantism, turning away from it, thus saith the Lord, will unite with Catholicism and bring about a union in America of church and state, the religious leaders with the unity of Rome will appeal to the politicians to advance their agenda that has been predetermined. But in order to accomplish it, The multitude, the people, will be led to acts of violence and opposition which they would never have thought of had they not been imbued with the animosity of professed Christians against the truth. When you think it's not going to get deeper, buckle your seatbelts. Because Satan is seeking complete control of Christianity in America. How can such a great divide exist? How can Christians that sing to the glory of God on one day and then get together and become so stirred on political issues that they are willing to take another person's life that disagree with their political position? And they name the name of Christ when Jesus himself said, my kingdom is not of this world. What you don't see is we are in the midst of the development of World War III, and the spirit being revealed is the very spirit that's going to be turned against those who really do stand with Christ. Jesus warned us. John 16, verse 1 to 3. The same danger Jesus warned his disciples of that will possess religious people in his day is the same thing that applies that's taking place in our day. Listen to the words of Christ. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. Why? Whoever kills you will think that he off. Why we see the things that we see today, and then when the when all the frenzy calms down, I've been listening very carefully. When all the frenzy calms down, some of these well-meaning people whose convictions are aligned with folk whose theology is not scriptural. Why is there such an animosity? Why is there such a desire to control the government of the United States? Because the evangelical view is that Jesus is coming back to reign on earth. My brethren, he's not coming back to reign on earth. He's coming back so that we could reign with him in heaven. So in this rational and this irrational position based on twisted theology, and how do I know that these leaders are not truly Christian? You cannot knowingly reject the Sabbath that you know of and still claim Christianity. You cannot teach that the commandments are done away with and say you are aligned with Christ. You cannot incessantly teach what the Bible does not teach the immortality of the soul and say that you are in harmony with Christ. The words of Christ made it very, very clear that this drastic climate change taking possession of Christianity is not incidental. it is intentional. But what did Jesus say? John 8:32, "You shall know the truth, and the truth shall do what? Make you free." So this manipulation that's fracturing the church today is due to the artful management of those claiming to be Christian, but they're simply religious. You follow the pages of history. Now we're going to dive in deeper. Are you ready? Are you ready, David? All right. If somebody's next to you sleeping, just tap them on the forehead. One time. It'll work. There is a framework being put into place that has been practiced in the history of the United States from its birth to its present. And Revelation describes the purpose for which God brought America into being. God brought America into being that it may be a nation where people of every race and class and creed could exist together. One nation under God God. with liberty and justice For for all, not for a select group and nobody else. Not just for one party and nobody else. Not just for those who have this belief and nobody else. In other words, I can't say, you know, I'm so convinced that the Sabbath needs to be kept. I need to get the government to pass the law that everybody keeps the Sabbath only because that's my conviction. There's a framework put in place to manipulate truth and create opposing camps. It's called the Hegelian dialectic. Let me introduce to you today A man by the name of George, and it's spelled correctly, that's how they do it in German, George Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, born in Stuttgart, Germany in August 1770 and lived till 1831. He was a German, he was involved in German idealism and one of the founding figures of modern philosophy. He introduced something called the Hegelian dialectic. Now, now follow me carefully. This is going to get deep, but you're going to wake up in a moment. Because the Hegelian dialect relies on opposing views in order to accomplish its predetermined agenda. It's called, here's another phrase you may not have heard about. It's called cognitive dissonance. Have you heard that phrase before? Cognitive dissonance means so many ideas are flying at you so fast and creating such confusion that the more that you are, the more that you are, the more that your beliefs are clashing against, the greater the level of your cognitive dissonance is called the strength of confusion. So all these issues flying at me from the left and the right, from the right and the left, from the left and the right, from the blue and the red, got me fighting. And I'm so confused that I now become a, an unwilling victim of the Hegelian dialectic. He explains how it works. Here it is. The Hegelian dialectic is a framework. This is the most powerful statement that I would read the entire message because this is exactly what's happening in America. And you'll see in a moment. The Hegelian dialectic is a framework. What is it, friends? A framework for guiding thoughts, just like the chief priest did. Guiding thoughts, just like the women that Solomon married, just like Ahab's wife. Guiding thoughts. Now, George Hegel was not alive then, but Satan was. The Hegelian dialectic is a framework for guiding thoughts and actions into what? Into conflicts that lead to fake solutions which can only be introduced once those being manipulated take a side that will advance the predetermined agenda. Said another way, we know exactly what we want them to do, but they think that they're in charge, so let's stir them up. Let's get them fighting amongst each other. Let's get one section of Adventists fighting against another section of Adventists. Let's get the blue Adventists fighting against the red Adventists. Let's get the pro-mask Adventists fighting against the anti-mask Adventists. Let's get the anti-vaxxers fighting the pro-vaxxers. So the Adventists are so lost in cognitive dissonance that the three angels' messages means absolutely nothing. We talk about it at Fellowship Lunch. We post it on Facebook. We argue about political issues on Facebook, failing to realize that Satan's predetermined agenda is to overthrow our faith. You see, the Hegelian dialectic works when a thesis, I think I have this here. Let me show you you how it works. Look at this chart very quickly. Now, the Hegelian dialectic, you see a, a, a triangle on the side or a square that's turned sideways. You have thesis and what's the next one? You have antithesis or antithesis. Let me give you an example. Unfortunately, we have too many shootings in America. But in this context, a politician will go to the parent that lost a child in this recent shooting and say, ma'am, I'm going to do everything I can to get assault weapons off the streets. And he goes to the assault weapon owner, Second Amendment right, and says, sir, I'm going to do everything I can to preserve your Second Amendment right. Same man. Thesis doesn't have to be true. Antithesis doesn't have to be true. All it has to do is lead you both into conflict. So when you who lost a child see the person who owns the gun, you don't like him. You don't like him so deeply that you want to vote for this man who manipulated both of you to get both of your votes. And the Hegelian dialect is intended to create conflict between both sides. So, how was it working in the Adventist Church? <clears> hmm. <throat> Speak to me, April. That's exactly. So you, you fight over whether you should take it. And, and you forget that you are brothers in Jesus. You're sisters and brothers in Christ. And you spend more time talking about that rather than ways to get the gospel out. So when people like Donald call you and say, we're going to go door to door, that doesn't even phase you. Because you are waiting for what, the, what your desired politician says next. You're too busy to think about saving somebody because you are in cognitive dissonance. The issues have you in constant conflict. Now, in this conflict, the intention is to create synthesis. So thesis and antithesis, synthesis. Both of you are going to vote for me anyway. But what you fail to realize is it's not just going downward. There was a predetermined agenda that was introduced before I gave you the issues to fight over. I gave you the issues to fight over for one purpose to determine whether or not I could rely on you to push my agenda, like the chief priests manipulated the multitude to push their agenda. So they were able to convince the multitude and the multitude said, you can rely on us. We will accomplish your agenda. While the agenda was not the mindset of the multitude, but it was a mindset of religious men who did not know God. God. When we start looking for religious politicians, there are none. Sorry. When we start looking for Christian politicians, there are none because they all operate under the Hegelian dialectic. It's the very framework of everything that happens in the world. Always get two sides. They fail to realize that the agenda was determined from the very beginning. It was predetermined, but I had to create conflict so you could be so cognitively dissonant that you don't understand you're being manipulated. And here's how it ends up. The Hegelian dialectic works when a thesis, giving rise to its reaction, an antithesis which contradicts or negates the thesis... And the tension between the two begin being resolved by means of synthesis. Simply meaning, here are some of the Hegelian dialectics working in society today. That is tearing the Adventist church asunder. And we can't see because we are so busy pushing the issues of men. And don't realize that by pushing their issues, they have predetermined their agenda. And you don't understand. Even, I won't even go into how this is fitting into the World Economic Forum because all of this is being gauged. All the issues dividing the church, the world, the politics, the, all these issues. Just, this is just a, a, a smidgen of it. Mass versus anti-mask, vaccine versus anti-vaxxers, pro-life versus pro-choice, same-sex versus both-sex marriages, LGBT versus straight, blue lives versus black lives, fossil fuel versus green energy, climate change versus climate cycle. And what happens is we, we, we eat all this all week long. And we come to church on Sabbath morning so cognitive, cognitively dissonant that when we start talking about Reaching out to save lives for Christ, there's no room there for us to be able to even embrace it because we have been so torn apart by the stuff that we are eating, failing to realize that the issues are designed to polarize us into controversy and division. And what we don't realize before the final issue is introduced, that will ultimately divide America. It is imperative to manipulate us, to gauge, and I'm going to read this carefully, to gauge our pliability in preparation for the final issue. In other words, are you listening? Your moldability on political issues will signal your plasticity on religious issues. Let that soak in. And now let me, let me speak in English terms. I want to see how much I could manipulate you So that when the real issue comes, I'll know whether or not I could depend on you. How moldable are you on my political issues? Ah, I could rely on you when I push my religious issues. Brethren, don't forget the issue confronting us as a church. We are living in Revelation 13 between the first and second beast. That's where we are. So the synthesis that these men are trying to accomplish, which is take over the government. Are you not listening? Are you not listening? Are you not listening to people? Are you not listening to these religious people that say the only purpose for the existence of the government is to carry out the wishes of the church? Are you not listening? This has been going on for 40 years. Go back. If you're old enough, do you remember Jerry Falwell? Jerry Falwell said, my second largest financial supporting base is Seventh-day Adventist. And he did not believe what we believe at all. But you know why, they, you know why he got support? Because he used the issues. You think that... I'm not talking about issues, but I'm talking about issues. The issues are only used to see how pliable we are so that when the real issue comes, Jerry Falwell can say, I've got 36,000 Adventists I can rely on because they've been standing with me for the last five years. They get all my literature. They pay for my magazines. They get my subscription, and they send me monthly donations. Lord, have mercy. Why would we support a man or any institution that is, ant- that is antithetical to a plain, thus saith the Lord? Why? Because of the Hegelian dialectic. They pick the issues that tickle your throat so they can get you to think their way, and you think that they're the answer when, in fact, the only answer is Jesus. Revelation 13 makes it very, very clear. Here's where we're living. This is the next thing that's going to happen. And I'm going to wind it up here in a moment. The Bible says clearly this is the predetermined agenda. God has told us from the very beginning this is what's going to happen in America. And you know what, friends? I'm dumb enough and I'm smart enough at the same time to believe that if God says it, I can believe it and that can settle the issues for me. That's why I don't care what these politicians say. I don't care about either one of them because I've got a higher call on my life. I got a higher agenda to push. I can't be pushed into one of the other circles. Revelation 13, verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb and spoke as a dragon. And you tell me that America is not speaking as a dragon already. (laughs) But listen to this. All these issues you're fighting over are simply cloaking the real issue. How do we know that? Testimonies for the church. Page, volume 5, page 452, paragraph 1. While men are what? Sleeping. Satan is actively arranging matters so that the Lord's people may not have mercy or justice. And you think they think about you? No, no. They're using you to get rid of you. The Sunday movement is now making its way in darkness. The leaders are concealing the what? The true issue. And many who unite in the movement do not themselves see whither, say it with me, Ricky, the undercurrent is tending. Its professions are mild and apparently Christian. But when it shall speak, it will reveal the spirit of the dragon. That's powerful. Professed, mild, apparently Christian. Concealing the issues. Satan is not concerned with those that reject the authority of Scripture. Not concerned about those that ignore the commandments of God or intentionally reject God's Bible Sabbath or embrace and continue to teach the immortality of the soul. As a matter of fact, I'm so clear about what his agenda is. You know how I know what his agenda is? Because God's word tells us. How long will we ignore this very well-known scripture? You want to know what the issue is? Read the scripture. You want to know what Satan's aim is? Read the scripture, Revelation 12, 17, and the dragon was wroth with the woman. Satan was angry with the church. Who and when to make what war with the remnant of her seed, the last day church of commandment keepers who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Why is he angry with them? Because there's only one woman on Earth, one church on Earth, standing in the way of Satan's total domination of the church, and it's those that stand on the unequivocal word of God. They're keeping all Ten Commandments, and God has given them an insight behind the scenes. That's why, brethren, the eroding walls of the Seventh-day Adventist church is strategically orchestrated by Satan because neutrality no longer is applauded. People don't want you to be uninvolved. They want you to be involved. When somebody approaches you and say, what do you think about this political issue? Say, I don't think about it. I don't care about it because my issue, I'm focused on God's great commission not distracting issues can somebody say amen instead of exalting jesus satan wants us to exalt a mortal man who in just a few short years will have to wear diapers i don't know why i don't know why i said that i'm talking about the frailty of humanity Let me tell you some, brothers and sisters, don't stand behind people who are three steps from the grave. Because in all this heat that is being pushed to get them back into this position or back into that position, and they're off the scene, who is the next person that you're going to be addicted to? We are always looking for some human to exalt when the only purpose that God has given the church is to exalt Jesus Christ. Satan wants the Seventh-day Adventist Church to be issue oriented rather than evangelism or mission oriented. And I want to tell you, it's working. It's working. And the reason why he appears to be so successful is because many Seventh-day Adventist Christians have given up the sure word for men's word. But today, let me introduce to you why I still stand where I stand. Second Peter 1, verse 19, he says it so wonderfully, we have also a more, what? Sure word of prophecy. And then he says, Whereunto you do well to take heed. Why? As a light that shines in what kind of place? A dark place, this world, unto the day dawn and the day star arises in your hearts. Peter is saying, you want, to be, you want to stand behind something? Stand behind a sure word. What kind of word? Prophecy is a sure word declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. Brothers and sisters, you've heard us say it before. Danny says it all the time. We've read the back of the book. How could those reading the back of the book be manipulated into forgetting the book and joining something else that's not in the book? It ain't in there. But just to show you how the religious leaders think, listen to what Rick Warren said in Christianity Today, December 5, 2014, I get the subscription all the time. Look at what he says. He's showing how he's showing how they're being pulled together, how unity is being created, not on doctrinal issues, not on doctrinal issues, but on political issues. Here's is what he said. When you talk about Pentecostals, Charismatics, Evangelicals, Fundamentalists, Catholics, Methodists, Baptists, Presbyterians, well, they would all say we believe in the Trinity. We believe in the Bible. We believe in the resurrection. We believe salvation is through Christ. Jesus Christ, these are the big issues. And on the very same note, they'll say, abandon your doctrine so that we can all be one in Jesus. Now, I want you to know not all people believe what Rick Warren says because when Rick Warren said that, a host of evangelical leaders said he lost his mind because you don't sell out you don't sell out doctrinal integrity for the purpose of unity. There is no unity outside of doctrinal integrity. You don't just say, I just say Jesus and that's all that matters. No, Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. But what's happening? How is this Hegelian dialectic working in America? I'm going to invite, I don't know if Samuel is the one I'm going to play. You're going to come on up and play softly as I close. What is the aim behind the manipulation of the church. We already know what it is is behind the manipulation of society, but why is Satan seeking to manipulate the church? Here's what we are told. Revelation 17, verse 13. Where is it all headed? I've got to know who stands where. That's why all your actions on Facebook, the things you post, the things you watch on Instagram, the views you espouse, everything that you type and write, it's all being categorized by the World Economic Forum. Everything you click, every site you go to, it's all being clicked. They're saying, we now know what email to send to this brother because we see all the issues he's supporting on the Internet. So we're going to get him for the next election or for this election or for that election when the only election that we should be certain of is the election of grace for those for whom Christ has died. What is the aim? These have one mind and shall give their power and strength unto the beast. Let me tell you, my brethren, I want to give my strength and power to Jesus Christ. What do you say? That's the mission that pushes us. And what we don't realize is great controversy says, page 445, Look at how it's working, how the Agilean dialectic is pulling us together. In America, in Protestant America, which is no longer Protestant, but apostate Protestant, when the leading churches of the where? United States, uniting upon such points of doctrine as are held by them in common, it's already happening, shall influence the state. It's already happening. Wake up. There's a small segment of religious leaders pushing their agenda, and the Jewish Defense League is rising up against it. Do you realize a lot of these issues that are being pushed by evangelicals, the Jews are rising up against it because the Jewish leaders are saying they don't understand the Bible. One Jewish rabbi said, these evangelical leaders have no clue about the Bible, and they are distorting God's Word to push their predetermined agenda. And now they're suing these leaders Because they're saying they're destroying Judaism and making decisions that are antithetical to the Bible. So it's not everybody. Praise God for that. But they shall influence the state to enforce their decrees and to sustain their institutions. What's going to happen? Then Protestant America will have formed an image of the Roman hierarchy. And the infliction of civil penalties upon dissenters will inevitably result. So, as I close my breath, let me ask you the question. Where do you think it's going to go next? Let's not guess. Here's the words of Christ Matthew 24 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You know what? I don't mind if the nations hate me as long as Jesus loves me. We're going to go through it. But while the sides are polarizing and the groups are in conflict, the only side that will triumph eternally is the side that Jesus is on. What do you say? So, the only question that we need to ask and answer in the development of World War III is this Whose side are you on? Remember. When Moses delayed to come down while Jesus is delaying to come down, the only question that we must answer today is here in Exodus 32, 26. Who's on the Lord's side? Can you say with me? Who's on the Lord's side? What do we do? Let him come to me. Let me ask you the question today. Who's on the Lord's side? Now, brethren, that's not an easy answer. Could you stand for me real quickly? Stand up. Who's on the Lord's side? You know why that's vitally important? Because if we're not on the Lord's side, we're on the wrong side. You you could be on the blue side or the red side, the pro or the anti. You are being manipulated to accomplish a predetermined agenda so that when the real issue, Sabbath versus Sunday, comes to the forefront, you would have been manipulated to stand with leaders that will take away your freedom of worship. And if you don't think that freedoms are being eroded in America, you are not awake. The only freedom we have is found in Christ. Can the church say amen? Why am I so passionate? Because my brethren, I want our church, this church, our people, these people to be awake. We have a grand responsibility. Don't think that the grand responsibility is just on television and radio. It's on the streets of Thompsonville. It's on the streets of West Frankfort. It's on the streets of Southern Illinois. There are people that have no idea about the everlasting gospel. But if we don't feel the passion, the drive, the desire, that when the invitation comes forth, I'm going to go out and share with others that need to know about that real issues of salvation. If we feel no need to want to be in that number to bring people to Christ, we have been manipulated and we are nothing but subjects in preparation for World War III. How many want to be on God's side? How many want to be in the only army that's going to win? Can we sing our declaration? Onward, Christian soldiers. No, no, don't go back. Don't go left. Don't go right. Go forward. Let's sing this together. Come on, praise team. I want to hear your voices.
1: Onward, Christian. Come on, let me hear you sing. Marching as to all What's our banner with the cross of?
0: church said only one direction my brothers and sisters don't listen don't listen listen don't get pulled in by the issues don't get drawn in by the issues may your passion be against sin not against each other may your commitment be to the mission of Christ not the mission of frail mortal man may we raise the banner of truth not the banner of the issues that divide us May we be one in hope and doctrine, one in charity, and they will come that, united together, we're going to walk through the gates into the New Jerusalem, not by ourselves, but by those that we have won for the cause of Christ. Is that your desire? we got a mission. Let's get about our Father's business because it's coming. World War III is coming. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a privilege and blessing But what a responsibility. Satan has sharpened his pencil. He is training his scope on the church of God, the remnant. Those that have been commissioned to proclaim the everlasting gospel. He is succeeding on many levels. Some are dumbing down the message of the cross. Some are looking more like the world than like those who are aiming to the kingdom of God. Oh, Father, we pray that we can raise the banner high, not lower the banner. That we can reflect the righteous character of Christ, not the passing fancies of a world gone mad. That our churches will be infused with those who are concerned about the mission of heaven, not the issues of earth. And that when the religious leaders and the voice of the politicians are calling, we can simply respond to the words of Jesus. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Take us from this place united, from this place undivided, from this place committed until the day that we see you and hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This is our prayer and this is our desire that all of God's people say, amen.